All right, guys. Uh, um, I've told many of you that I was very nervous about this fall series that we're doing and wrapping up today. Um, I, you know, throughout the year, I kept telling you, my Whitestone family, that as we looked at Jesus' life this spring, and then we looked at the great heroes of faith this, this summer, um, I kept telling you that this fall, we would then be looking at how we are to live lives of faith in our very own daily lives, like Jesus and like these other great men and women of faith. And, and I kept telling you that this is what we're going to be addressing this fall, but as I confessed to many of you, I, I really was quite nervous as to how we were going to do that. I was nervous because I really didn't know what that looked like. Uh, I kind of felt like I was uh, promising a sermon series that I didn't know how to preach. Uh, I mean, seriously, I didn't have a clue as to where we were going to start or how we were going to progress through it. And, and, and yet, I, ju I just kept trusting God, saying, God, you're going to have to show me this. You're going to have to tell me you know, what to do. And one afternoon while I was up in the mountains of Arizona... Uh, for that week getaway up in the mountains, I felt like God said, okay, Luke, let's go. I want you to hike down to the waterfalls that you saw yesterday, and I want you to just sit there, and I'm going to show you how to preach this fall series. And so I sat down there, and I got my little notepad out, and I just sat there and spent that time with God. And it was just amazing because I just, I hate to say this, but I felt like he just downloaded the entire fall series to me and said, you know, I want you to preach this, this Sunday, this Sunday. And he laid out the order of it, and it was just awesome. But I have to say that when it came to the last sermon of this series, it made me very uncomfortable. Um, dread may be too strong of a word, but I dreaded coming to this last sermon because if ever there was a difficult sermon to preach, it would be this one. Um, but I truly believe that Jesus wanted me to end this series like this. So here we are today. And I trust that Jesus led me and He guided me in the preparation of the sermon I've been praying all week that this would have impact on all of us, including myself. And, and today we're going to be addressing the elephant in the room. The elephant that we all know is there, but we don't like to deal with it. And this isn't going to be easy, but here's what we're going to be looking at. Faith in the midst of suffering. Um, last week we talked about hardships that come our way and trials that we face in our life. And we spent some time looking at how these trials in our life are meant to really be used as tests. Tests to see how well we're progressing in, in the area of faith. How well are we growing and believing in the unseen reality of God and, and knowing that He's at work around us. Because the truth is, each trial will expose how we're doing at it. And we mentioned how we need to be training off the spot in our area of faith so that we can be ready on the spot whenever a trial comes our way. Because guys, if we wait for a trial to train, we've already failed. We must be training continually. You see, faith, guys, is the root system. Kind of like this picture. It's the root system of our Christian life. We must develop these roots that will grow down deep and they'll hold us fast. We cannot be tumbleweeds. We can't be... These, you know, bushes that get blown, rootless bushes that get blown all over the place. We need to be trees that are firmly rooted by streams of water which yield their fruit in season and whose leaves do not wither. Let the storms of life come. Let the winds blow. We will not be blown over because we're rooted by faith. And all that is true. And all that is good. But the fact of the matter is for so many people, trials come and they go. Hardships come and they go. Life is a series of difficult seasons followed by seasons of reprieve. 
But today I want to talk to the people in our midst who seemingly never get a break from their trial. They live in what seems to be like a perpetual life of suffering. It just never ends. And these, these are the people who've lost loved ones. Children, spouses, parents. And, and they live with that hole in their heart all alone. And they wake up every morning just going, oh yeah, I'm alone. Day in and day out. This is the people who have been through ugly divorces and not really because of any fault of their own. They've been trying to live and follow Jesus and and their spouses betrayed them and hurt them and and created all of this ugliness and this mess that they find themselves in. And the kids are being torn this way and that and, and, and their families are just one big mess. And they wake up every morning just facing this like, oh, I'm in this mess. These are the people, the parents whose kids just never seem to make right decisions. And they keep making stupid decision after stupid decision and their lives are self-destructing before their very own parents' eyes. And they wake up every morning going, oh, is my son alive or dead today? These are the people that live through dark-seated depression. A cloud that never lifts. And over and over and over it just crushes them and takes the breath literally right out of them. And they wake up every morning with this just elephant sitting on their chest. Day in and day out. These are the people who suffer with physical pain. Day in and day out. And the pain just never lets up. And they wake up every morning going, oh no, another day of pain. And months and months pass and years and years pass by and, and nothing seems to change in your situation. Just pain and more pain. Never ending suffering. And like David in the Psalms, these people, they cry out and they say, How long? Be merci- merciful to me, Lord, for I am faint. Oh Lord, heal me, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in anguish. How long, oh Lord? How long? And how does a person live by faith when this is their life? And I know that there are some right here in our midst this morning in this room who this is your life. Week in and week out, these people come to worship with their Whitestone family and they put on their happy face. And they sing the songs from the bottom of their heart to the Jesus they love. They sit and listen to the sermon and They try to learn what they can. They try to apply what they can. And then they go out and they mingle with their friends and their family. And and then they go back to their homes and keep suffering. And when asked, how are you doing? They just give a simple answer. I'm doing good. Because they know that no one really wants to know how they're doing because if they were to be honest with that person, it would overwhelm that person and they would feel uncomfortable and not know what to do or say. And so the next time that they would you know, come up to this person, the person would try to avoid them because they wouldn't know what to do. So they just say, yeah, I'm good. Things are okay. Just so they don't feel like an outcast, like a leper, like an outsider. You'd be amazed at how many people are sitting here this morning who can identify with that scenario. That's just life for them. And often, they just suffer alone. 
And you know what makes it so tough about these kinds of people is that most of them are people who love Jesus. They love Him. They've given their lives to Him. They're apprentices to Him. He's their Lord. And they, they want to follow Him all the days of their life. They're not these mean, angry, defiant God-haters who want to cause trouble. No, they're good. They're nice. They're God-fearing people. And that's what makes it so hard to see. These are the people who they believe in, in God with all of their heart and, and they beg God day in and day out to answer their prayers. They believe in their unseen powerful God and know that He can work miracles. But He hasn't. These are the people who they believe in God with all their hearts and they, they need God to move a mountain. They desperately need it. But He hasn't. These are the people who believe in God with all their heart. And like the Israelites, they've come up to a great big sea. An incrossable sea. And they've come up to it and they need God to part the waters. The enemy is all around coming in, pressing in on all different sides. And they need God to open the waters so that they can cross over on dry land. But He hasn't done it. These are the people who they believe in God with all their heart. And like the woman in the Bible who we read about who suffered for years and years and years bleeding and in pain, they reach out to touch Jesus' garment and when they do, nothing happens. They're still in the same condition. And these are good people. People who love Jesus. But it seems like God has turned a blind eye on their condition. How does a person go on living like this? How, how does a person live a true life of faith while going through this? How, how can a person continue to live in such a situation? Because I'll be honest with you, in meeting with these kind of people all the time, many of them just want to die. They want to die and just be with Jesus. Life on this earth means nothing but suffering to them. And they find it so hard to face yet another day. And for some, the pain is so intense, they try to numb it with anything and everything they can. Alcohol, drugs, sinful choices, porn, whatever it might be. Some are so desperate that they take matters into their own hands. And they end their life. All of us know people like that. And you think they didn't beg God to heal them? Of course they did. You think they didn't know God could fix their situation? Of course they did. But He didn't. And they came up to the edge of the cliff and they gave up and jumped off. And they ended their life. And to be honest with you, I know this may sound bad, but to be honest with you, when you hear about what they had to live through, you just can't blame them. But Whitestone, that can't be the answer. Numbing your pain is not the answer. Taking your life is not the answer to a life of suffering. The answer is and has always been a life of faith. So, how? How does one in the midst of suffering live a life of faith and escape the traps the enemy tries to lay out for them? Let's talk about that today. 
And I just want to say this this morning, I'm not going to try to answer the question why. Why doesn't God answer these prayers? Why doesn't God move these mountains like we would want? Why doesn't He part the waters? I don't know the answers to those questions, and I'm not going to try to answer them. But I'll tell you, God's own Son, Jesus, begged His Father to answer His prayer. Three times He begged His Father to remove this cup of suffering that He had to to endure, and God didn't answer his prayer. And Jesus went through some of the most horrific, most intense suffering any person has ever had to endure. So, because I don't know the mind of God, I can't answer the why questions, but at least know this, we're in good company when God doesn't answer our prayers. Jesus experienced the same thing. But here's what I do want to answer. How? How do we live a life of faith in the midst of our suffering? Live aware of our unseen God and know that He's working even when we can't see it in the midst of our suffering. And to address that this morning, I want to kind of just unpack a little bit of what suffering can do to us. What extended suffering in our lives can do to us. And the first thing, the way that affects us is it can cause, to, cause us to question our unseen God's love. Nowhere do we question our unseen God's love than we do in times of, of seemingly never-ending suffering. Why aren't you working, God? Why are you ignoring me? Why aren't you lifting a finger to help me? Don't you love me? You must not love me. I must not be good enough. And this is a common effect of intense suffering. We question God's love for us. Another effect is it can cause us to question our unseen God's presence. Whenever we don't see God working in our lives, we doubt God's presence. And, and when we find ourselves in deep suffering and He hasn't lifted it in any way, it's very easy to think that God is a million miles away and that He has checked out of our life. Yeah, He may be working in other people's life, but not mine. He's gone. Suffering brings that fear to the surface. Where are you, God? Where have you gone? You doubt His presence. Lastly, and I'm sure there's a bunch more, but I only have time to cover these three. Lastly, it can cause us to question our unseen God's goodness. If we're called His children, and He is our Father, the thought that often comes into our mind is how could a father allow his child to suffer like this? Wouldn't a father want to rescue his child? And when we think like that, the next thought that comes down the pipe is, well, he must be a mean God. He's, he must be mean because why wouldn't he do something? And we doubt his goodness. Those are three deep effects of intense suffering. And anybody suffering in this room today, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, listen to me, Whitestone. A person who is suffering intensely obviously knows that all three of these things are dead wrong. Of course they know that God is loving. Of course they know that He will never leave us or forsake us. Of course they know that God is a good God. But because of this suffering that they've been enduring day after day, year after year, these thoughts will come at them day and night. These thoughts will plague them. 
And the enemy wants to use these thoughts for his purposes because if he can get a person to believe that God doesn't love them or that God has abandoned them or that God isn't good, he knows that they'll give up. And we know that when a person gives up, they self-destruct. And trust me, when dealing with an unseen God while in the midst of our suffering, these thoughts are very easy to allow into our minds. They're right there, ready to entertain us. And this is a huge effect of extended suffering. And guys, every single one of us need to know that that's what happens when someone endures suffering. We need to be aware of that. So how does someone combat this and continue to live a life of faith in the midst of suffering? Let's try to answer that. And I just want to say this up front, these answers, when I was really digging into this, asking God, how do I answer these questions? Really, the answers that came to my mind were extremely simple. And so I'm just going to say, they're very simple answers, but I tell you, they're profound if we ponder them and allow them to sink in. And the first answer is this. The body of Christ must be ministering to those who are hurting and suffering. I told you at the very beginning of this series that Living a life of faith will only truly happen in community. And guys, this is a place where it is absolutely imperative. People who are suffering need badly to understand that God loves them and that God is good and that God hasn't abandoned them. Well, guess what? We as a community, we're the church. We're the body of Christ. And the way that God ministers to these hurting people in the world today is through His body. And we are that body. We are those hands and feet. And the Holy Spirit has given each of us gifts, supernatural gifts, to use in ministering to these suffering people. And when we serve these people, they're being served by Jesus Himself. When we love these people, they're being loved by Jesus Himself. When we spend time with these people, they're being spent time with Jesus Himself. We're the hands and feet of Jesus. Therefore, we had better be about doing what He would be doing if He were here. And if we don't, these people who are suffering go without experiencing Jesus. Now having said that, it's imperative that we serve these people by faith. We talked about that three or four weeks ago. In other words, we don't minister to these people out of our own effort or our own power We don't just do what we want to do. We must do what Jesus wants to do. Remember, we're His body. We must say what Jesus would want said. We must do what our Lord would want to be done. And and, and what He may ask us to do may be pretty huge, but He's going to empower us to do it. And I think so often, people who I'm sure are wanting to help, Christians who are wanting to help, they act out of their own power. They act out of their own effort to minister to suffering people and they end up doing more damage than if they had done nothing at all. For instance, I find it interesting how we Christians like to use the fancy little Christian sayings that should only be hung on plaques and hung on our walls. But we like to use them because we don't know what to say. So out of our own effort, we like to throw these things out. We find ourselves with a suffering person and we say, well, you know, God doesn't give you anything more than you can handle. And that person goes, maybe. But it sure feels like He has. So thanks for that. Or we say things like, well, you just need to trust the Lord. You think I don't know that? 
You think I don't know that I need to trust the Lord? Of course I do. Why would you have to tell me that? Or, or we say this, that, well, you know what? God has a plan in all this. I, I heard of a family who they lost their little four-year-old girl. She was raped and brutally murdered. And all the Christians gathered around her and said, got around these parents and said, well, you know what? God has a plan in all this. Well, you know what? Maybe he does. I'm sure he does. But that's not what those parents needed to hear right then and there. They just lost their daughter. They wake up every day without their little girl. And unless you know God's plan, you telling them, hey, this is God's plan. I don't know what it is, but here's it doesn't help them. Or we say this, you know, we come up to people and we, we pray for them. And then we say this. Well, you just need to claim it. You just need to claim it now. You need to claim your healing. Guys, nowhere in Scripture do I ever see that happen. When Jesus walked up to a lame man and He healed him, that lame man walked away. When Jesus came up to a, a person who was deaf, that person walked away hearing. When Jesus came up to a blind man, that person walked away seeing. When Jesus came up to a man who was demon-possessed, that man walked away with the demon gone. He didn't say, hey, you just need to claim your healing. No, they were healed. And to sell someone who's suffering that, well, you just need to claim it, doesn't help. Don't speak foolish words just because you want to make a conversation and you might feel like things are awkward. One time I came up, I was talking to this guy who, he was desperately ill with cancer and I asked him, I said, so what kind of cancer do you have? And I can't remember what he said, I think he said like stomach cancer or something. And, I, and not knowing what to say, I just was like, oh, my, my uncle had stomach cancer and he died from it. It's horrible. And the guy's like, thank you for that. That meant a lot. And, and that was all because I was just stupid and then I'm wanting to fill the empty space with my words. Don't do that. Sometimes the best thing you can say is, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And just cry with them. You don't have to come up with great things to say. You know, in my phase one discipleship class this, this fall, about two or three weeks ago, there's this young, young woman. She's a mother. And just this, a sweet young girl. She's in the class wanting to run after Jesus. And, and she had just been through a double mastectomy. And uh, she's there wearing her little cap. and Just, just, a, just a sweetheart. And... One of the days she was there, you could tell she was just crying and something was hurting her. And so we asked her as a class, what's going on? And she just opened up in front of the class and said, I just got back from the doctor and I was told that there's all these tumors on my ovaries and they think it's cancer and they're going to have to do a hysterectomy. And she just got done with a mastectomy and she's sitting there crying. And you know that, that little class, that beautiful little class, they got up and they got around her. And they didn't say anything fancy to her. They didn't say all these words that, like, hey, you need to trust God. You need to do this. They just gathered around there 
And they put their hands on her and their arms around her, and they wept with her. And they prayed for her. It's all they could do. And that young lady felt loved. And she experienced the touch of Jesus. Dana, she's right there. If we had time, well, you know, Dana, can you come up here? I want you to come up and share this. I know this is way taking her on, putting her on the spot, but she showed up this Tuesday to class. And I said, Dana, how you doing? And she had this big smile on her face. And this is what she said. And guys, this means we're going to run long, but it's worth it. Sorry, Dana. (laughs) All right, listen to her. So um, I came into class with some good news that I had had gone into the doctors because I had such severe abdominal pain, and they did another ultrasound. Well, first they wanted to do surgery, and I kind of asked if there's any other option. You know, can I have an ultrasound first, something just to make sure before I just go in to have surgery? And she said yes. She agreed to give me an ultrasound. And... um, when I was waiting for the results, the oncologist came back and got me and said that she couldn't believe, you know, what was going on. I have some good news that your cyst burst and ruptured. I kind of looked at her thinking, well, this is kind of a cruel, <laughs> cruel <laughs> joke. This isn't good news. But she said, everything is filled with fluid, not blood. It's not cancer. It's not tumors. Everything is good. Just wait and hear from your doctor. And so later that day, I got a call from my doctor saying, Um, She couldn't explain it, but in two weeks she was reviewing the ultrasounds and all four masses were completely gone. And no surgeries needed and, yeah. The point being is just a class People who didn't know what to say or didn't know what to do just gathered around her, prayed for her. And God worked a miracle. But you know what? Sometimes He doesn't work the miracle. And these people continue to suffer. And what do you say to those people? As I said before, a simple just, I'm so sorry. And crying with them is enough. Guys, we're meant to bear one another's burdens. That's what Scripture says. And to bear one another's burdens, you, you need to get a visual for this. Chad, could you come up here real quick? These people who are suffering, I want you to hold this thing out with one arm, just as long as you can. These people are suffering, are bearing a burden. And it's one thing if I said to Chad, Chad, hold that up for 30 seconds and then you're done. The trial's over. But if I said, Chad, you need to hold that up indefinitely, I don't know when that's going to go down. After a while, Chad is going to start to shake and he's going to start to grow weak and his, this burden is just getting heavy. And guys, we are called as the body of Christ to bear one another's burdens. That doesn't mean we come up and say, well, Chad, you just need to trust the Lord, bud. You, you just need to claim it. You need to, you know, my, my uncle had this and his arm fell off. No, we bear one another's burdens. That means we come up and we say, Chad, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do, but I'm just going to hold this for a while. And I'm going to let you rest. 
I'm going to bear this burden for you because I don't know what else to do. And as I'm doing this, Chad is resting and he's feeling that burden lighten. That's what we're meant to do, family. Thanks, Jim. Another mistake we do as the body of Christ is a lot of times we serve to get recognition. And we like to do these good things and then we, we call up the person, so, you know, did you like what I did? Did you like how I mowed the lawn? Was it good? Did I do this? Did I do that? And, I mean, and, the, and it's just begging for, for you know, approval or, or a pats on the back. And, and guys, I just want to say that that's not help. When a person who is suffering has to bend over backwards to make you feel good about yourself, you're not helping them. You know, some of the greatest acts of service I've ever seen done by people is people who've done it in secret. They simply leave a note and say, God loves you, and you need to know that. You know, I think of the meals ministry of this church. Week after week, day after day, they make meals. And they don't get to show up at the door and say, hey, I made a great, wonderful meal. What do you think about it? No, they bring it to the church in secret. And they drop it off and it gets delivered to people's homes. They don't get approval. They don't get recognition. They just do it to serve. Because they're the body of Christ. Another mistake we do is that we're in it for a week and then we forget these people. So common. We help out for a week and we're just, oh yeah, I'll be there to help you. And once... Everything kind of fades. We just forget about them. We say, oh, well, the church will look after them. Guess what, people? We're the church. The body of Christ is in it for the long run. And if Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, then as His body, neither should we. And I know it's tough. I know it's exhausting sometimes. But if we do things by faith in His power, we'll be doing what He wants. Okay, so, so why so let's be Jesus to these hurting people, to these suffering people around us. They need Jesus. They don't need you. They don't need me. They need Jesus. So let's listen to him for what he wants us to say. Let's listen to him for what he wants us to do. And that's why we train off the spot so we can be ready on the spot when the time should arrive. We need to follow his orders, not our own. Be Jesus. Now to those of you who are suffering, those of you in the room who are suffering and have been for a very long time, you need to see this. You you need to take this on. You need to realize that when someone serves you or ministers to you, this is Jesus working through His body to serve you. So see it as God's love being poured out on you. See it as your unseen God's goodness being manifested to you. See it as your unseen God's presence with you. And it will help you in your life of faith and combating the lies that the enemy is trying to get you to believe while you are suffering through this intense, long ordeal. And if I could just say this to those of you who are suffering, be patient with us. Be patient with those of us who are trying to help but we make mistakes. We just simply need to learn. Let us learn. Don't blame Christians. Don't blame a church. Don't even blame Jesus when a certain individual says something stupid or unthoughtful. It's just a lack of, a lack of maturity. So try to be patient. But suffering people, you need to know that God is loving you through His body here on this earth. So receive it as such.
The second answer to living by faith in the midst of suffering is this. Cling to the promises of God. Cling to the promises of God and take every single thought captive that tries to get you to think otherwise. And guys, I just want to say this. This is your doing. Nobody can do this for you. You have to do it. Cling. Dig your nails and wrap your arms around. Tie yourself to the promises of God. Immerse yourself into these promises. Nowhere is this more important than when you are suffering for long periods of time. You absolutely have to. Know that God loves you. He loves you. Cling to that. Say that out loud. Repeat it over and over. I know you can't see it. I know it appears that it's just the opposite, but you need to know that God loves you. Know that God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. I know it seems like He has. I know it feels like He's a million miles away, but God will never leave you. Cling to that. Know that God is good. God is so good. And I know it seems like he, maybe that isn't the case because of what you're experiencing, but listen to me. God is good. And these are promises. And we must cling to these promises. And anything that tries to mess with that kind of thinking, it's from the enemy. And we demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. What we know to be true of God, we demolish anything that tries to set itself up against that. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. If a thought comes to mind that God isn't good, we take it captive to the obedience of Christ. We say, no, I'm not going to think that anymore because I know what's true. If a thought comes to mind that God doesn't love us, we take it captive. If a thought comes to mind that God has abandoned us, we take it captive. We do not give room for these thoughts to gain momentum. Because listen to me, Whitestone. Listen to me. Hear this. Nothing, nothing good comes from allowing yourself to think that somehow God doesn't love you. Or that somehow God isn't good. Or that somehow God has abandoned you. Nothing good comes from that. So take captive every single thought that comes to your mind that tries to tell you otherwise. Every single time. And lastly, I want to end with this. Really, the truth is, in this world, there really isn't anywhere else to turn but Jesus. In our suffering, guys, there really isn't anywhere else to turn to but Jesus. So don't let go of Him. You know, Jesus was, was multitudes of people were following Him and they were walking with Him. And He began to preach. And these were tough sermons. And He was preaching. And, and bit by bit, the people began to walk away. And they're like, I can't handle this kind of teaching. And they began to desert Jesus. And the next thing you know, everybody had left. And it was just His disciples there with Jesus. And Jesus turns to His disciples. He says, guys, are you going to leave me too? And Peter said this. He goes, Jesus, where would we go? Where, where would we go? Only you have the words of life. And I think that applies to what we're talking about today. In the midst of our suffering, what other choice do we really have? Where else would we turn? What? Drugs? Drugs don't bring life. Alcohol? Alcohol doesn't bring life. Pornography? Pornography doesn't bring life. Sinful choices? That doesn't bring life. No, all these things, all they do is bring death. 
And I guarantee you, if you if you turn to anything but Jesus, you will find yourself being led closer and closer and closer to the precipice of giving up. Don't. Don't do it. Trust Jesus. Even when it seems like everything around you is falling apart and blowing up, trust Jesus. Do not take your eyes off of Jesus. Don't stop trusting God. He's the only one you can trust. I don't care what's happening around you. He's the only one you can place your hope in. And like Job, be able to say these words, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. Or like in Habakkuk, look at this, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, and though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, there, there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. As only Jesus has the words of life, where else would we go? So those of you who are suffering, don't allow the enemy to shipwreck your faith. Instead, allow God to manifest Himself through His body here on earth. Your own brothers and sisters in Christ. Allow them to serve you and minister to you by faith. And when they do, do so, see that as Jesus pouring out His love on you. Cling to the promise of, promises of God. Don't let any thought creep in that will try to prop itself up against what you know to be true of God from His Word. And lastly, realize that there really isn't any other place to turn. Only Jesus has the words of life. Amen? I want to close with this. For those of you who are suffering, and you've been suffering for a long time, you need to be reminded of this. All of us need to be reminded of this, but especially those who day in and day out live with the constant pain of suffering in their life. You need to hear this. Listen to this. Lean in on this. This is found in Revelation. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is is with men. You know what that means? That means that no longer will God be unseen. He'll be seen. We'll get to see Him. And He will live with them. And they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them and be their God. Listen to this. He will wipe every tear from your eye. There's going to be a day where he's going to come up and he's going to kneel down and look in your face and he's going to say, you're not going to need these up here. You're not going to need these when you're with me. He's going to wipe your tears. And there will be no more death. No longer am I going to have to see a mom and dad standing in front of the coffin of their son or their little girl and see them wailing because they're gone. No longer am I going to have to go to a hospital and see the body of some loved one who's just gone into eternity 
and see the family just weeping. No longer am I going to have to perform a funeral service because there will be no more death. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or listen to this or pain. No more pain. For the old order of things has passed away. When you are in the darkest of days and the bleakest of nights, I urge you to read this. Cling to this. Look forward to this. Keep living a life of faith, believing in the reality of your unseen God who is with you and He's at work around you. Live by faith, even in your suffering. Cling to your faith. I know it's hard right now. We live in a sin-cursed world full of death and pain. But one day, listen to me, one day the old order of things will pass away and God will dwell with us and us with Him. And listen to me, no longer will we need to cling to our faith or live lives of faith. You want to know why? Because no longer will God be unseen. He will be seen. And you don't need faith when you can see Him. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You. Thank You so much for these promises we have. God, we live in a world that is just, it's so dark, and it's so messed up, and, and sin has done such a number. And everywhere we turn, we see people who are just hurting God, we know you're here. We know you love us. And we know you're good. And we cling to that this morning. But we look forward to the day where we get to see you face to face. And you take all that away. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So folks, we're going to introduce a new song this morning that really um, en encapsulates what Luke was just talking about. And um, why don't we all stand together? And I guess I'd just like you guys to focus on the words for a while first. And as you get comfortable, um, sing along. Letting go of every single dream one down at your
At the beginning of the sermon, I talked about how our own sister, Nikki Malaza, went home to be with the Lord this Friday. This is her. Two and a half years ago, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And she tried to fight it. She begged God to part the water. She begged God to move the mountains. Her husband and her got down on their knees asking God to heal her from this cancer. But he didn't. And as her little body wasted away, as she suffered day and night in the pain of this eating her body, I want to tell you this, she never once doubted God. She never once turned her back on God. She never once said, God, I want nothing to do with you if this is what you're going to do. Instead, she continued to love Him knowing that He loved her. She continued to trust Him knowing that He was never going to leave her or forsake her. She persevered to the very end until Friday she drew her last breath. She died while sleeping in the hospital bed. And I like to picture, you know, when I was a little kid, we'd be over somewhere at someone's house and I'd fall asleep and my dad would scoop me up and he would take me home and he'd put me in my bed. I'd never remember any of that and I'd wake up in the morning and I was somewhere else. And I think that's what her Heavenly Father did. She fell asleep in the hospital bed and her Heavenly Father picked her up scooped her up, took her to his home. She woke up there. Had no idea how she got there. But she's finally with the God she loved and the God she served and the God she trusted in. Guys, let's never give up on Jesus. Amen? Let's run. I know we can't see him, but he's there and he's working. Let's live lives of faith. I love you so much. Have an awesome week. We'll see you next Sunday.